How do I explain this? We're going to be doing a bit of an oddball sermon today. That's my warning up front. Okay. Uh, my habit as a preacher is to preach through like the text. I want the book to tell me what I'm talking about, right? That way you guys are hearing what John wrote, not what Eric thinks. Or what John thinks is appropriate for, for hearing about Jesus, not what Eric thinks is the next step. And so like, this is, this is how I do things. This week we've ended up in an oddball spot where I have a three verse sermon. <laughs> I, thank you. Uh, because, uh, I've already preached through John three and four. And we are finishing up John 2, and there is this little three-verse thing, and I went back and forth about whether or not to skip it, and it um, shouldn't be skipped. So uh, I lost, can I have that back? There. Um, Real quick, the series so far, this is going to link into what we talked about last week, and the series so far in total, we're looking at um, the idea that um, Jesus replaces the old faith. Does that make sense? Like the Jewish faith was always a buildup that pointed toward Jesus coming and Jesus dying for our sins and the, you know, the, the new covenant, this new creation that we are like in Jesus. And so we're looking at, like John does this cool thing where um, throughout the next few chapters, he has all these highlights of Jesus replacing something old. Last week we looked at the temple and I want to talk about that real quick because this is going to play into what we're, what we're going to see today. Um, the temple, Jesus shows up at the temple for the for Passover. It's the first Passover of his public ministry. He walks in and there's a market. And he trashes the place, chases the animals out, overturns the tables with the money changers and everything else. And he says, you folks have made my father's house into a den of thieves. You know, and, and this, is, this is not what it's about. Like, and, and what Jesus was referring to is, like, we worship, we worship, right? Like, this is what we're called to do as his people. We're called to worship Jesus, worship Worship God like we worship Jesus because we know God through Jesus. Um, but he he was you know really clearing the place because they had started to focus on all of these things about the temple and lost sight of pure worship, and they had stepped away from the things that that were most important in favor of things that were trapping. So like oh you have to give only this kind of money and you have to sacrifice animals but only the ones we sell you and we'll make it convenient we'll kick out the Gentiles they're not quite good enough anyway and we'll just do our market in the, in the temple and they were really worshiping, worshiping God they were worshiping um, the temple in their own convenience and that was a problem and so Jesus clears it out because worshiping God is, is, is something to be done like, like as our primary priority as believers um, and, and this is sort of this judgment, but he's also stepping in and saying, I am the new temple. I am the new place where you will meet God directly. Okay? Everybody with me? Now, the section after this we'll get to in a minute, and we have to because this is what's called a saddle text. Um, a saddle text sits between two bigger stories, right? In this case, the story of the clearing of the temple. And the next story is about Jesus meeting a Pharisee and having a conversation with him. And the saddle text connects them. Got it? So, like, the text here is connecting the next, you know, the previous and the coming. And so we're going to work into that in a second. Um, he's there for Passover, and we're starting in on John 2.23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. So Jesus shows up and preaches and teaches and performs miracles, and people start believing in him. Now... In the previous section, if you're here last week, one of the things that we talked about was 
the priest demanded a sign from him. They're like, hey, you know what? If you have authority to clear our temple, can you give us a miracle? And he says, you people want a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is tear down this temple and I'll replace it in three days. I'll rebuild it. And he's referring to himself. I think he's referring to the temple because they're dense, right? Like they don't understand. They're so focused on this that they miss God, right? I think Jesus at one point says um, when he's criticizing the Pharisees, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel, right? Like they were focused on the temple, but they were missing God. Got it? And so, like, he comes in and he starts performing miracles, which he refused to do for the other guys. Right? So he's doing miracles, even though he said, no, no, I will not do it for you priests. Um, because they were looking for, they were looking for something that, you know, first off, they were demanding that he perform a trick for him, right? God, do a miracle so I know you're true. That's not how God operates, right? If he command, like, op- operates in response to command, he's not really much of a God. He's kind of an obedient servant. That's not, like, who our God is, right? And so um, he's doing these signs, and people start, like, attaching to him, and they start believing in him. They start, like, taking him very seriously. And, and obviously for, you know, miracles attract attention, right? If I were to turn water into wine this morning, you all would notice, Right? You probably talk about it. If I, if I, you know, or because miracles are splashy. Now Jesus kind of knows better. He goes on, but Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, because he did not, um, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now Jesus looks at them and says, "You guys are believing." But I don't buy it. Because what you're believing is the miracles. You're believing the fireworks. They are not believing in Jesus himself. Everybody with me? Um, And it says that he doesn't entrust himself to them. Um, What this is a reference to is like, Jesus does not allow his agenda to be sidetracked by them. right? He doesn't allow them to decide what happens next. We see this over and over again where Jesus doesn't entrust himself to anybody but the Father. It's an emphasis in the book of John. Like, God the Father sets Jesus' agenda. Um, if he entrusted himself to them, they'd probably make him king, right? Or they'd try to get him to start a revolution. Like, well, come on, let's go overthrow the Romans. We hate those guys, you know, or whatever. Because they're looking at, and we see this over and over again with the Jewish people, and we see it over and over again with man in general, okay? Um, They're looking at the here and now. They're looking at the obvious. They're looking at political power and wealth and everything else. And honestly, I didn't plan it, but I'll tell you, I'm sitting on the other side of a day of of voting, and I've seen so much crazy stuff, like this person's finally going to save us. This person's finally going to deliver us. Ultimately, Jesus delivered us, right? And, like, that's the truth of it. Like, I need Jesus. I don't need anybody else. Everybody with me? Now. I'm not trying to dump into politics. I'm saying if you're looking for a savior, Jesus is the only one you're going to find that's worth having. Um, so he, he says, well, he did not need anybody to tell him about man because he knows what is in man. Now, this is where this gets really important. It's important to follow this. What's in man is man's heart, right? And man's heart is stony. Man's heart is dead to the things of God. Man's heart is self-interested, right? Because it's what sin is. It's like self-worship. You know, hey, come worship me. It's pride. It's all of this other stuff. He doesn't need anybody to tell him that because he's God. He looks into man. He knows that men are full of sin. And he says, I don't need this. 
I'm not going to jump into y'all's bandwagon. You're going to tell me what I'm going to do. Everybody with me so far? Everybody's still awake. I usually have a timer, but Jess keeps turning off my slides. Um, we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians. Uh, all right. I got to stop because Jess needs to put me back where I belong here. Um, thank you. Um, this is 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry. We're jumping over here because those three verses as standalone are good, but like Paul gives us something cool in Corinthians. Watch this. Paul is talking about his preaching of the gospel. He says, for the word, oh, it's on my screen again. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Now, we're looking at this because it, it clicks, okay? And I'll explain how in a moment. Um, people have a tendency in our world with our hard hearts to look at their own wisdom. Isn't it true? We have a tendency to um, figure I know best. Even when God knows best, we know best. Right? Are you with me? Like, um, our own wisdom is what we want to lean on. And we see folks doing it where they change Christianity to make it more culturally acceptable. Or they, um, they say, well, God can't be because of this. Or I will not follow a God who teaches this or who believes this. Like we have this hardness of heart, right? And it's there. And Paul says, look, this foolishness that is the world, like this foolishness, they see what we have and they say, well, that's foolishness. The cross is foolishness. Um, Where is the wise man? This is Paul quoting, if I'm not mistaken. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now, we're almost to the good part, but I want to explain this real quick, because that's a lot of words, right? Tough to follow. Um, He backs up and he says, listen, folks stand around, they look at Jesus, and then they argue. They think they know better. They think Jesus can't be what he is. Or they think this is the truth or that's the truth. And they get so sidetracked and confused because it's the debates and it's all of this other stuff. They want to fight back against God. That's the heart of man. We will always fight back against God given our own tendency, right? Paul is saying, listen, all of the wisdom of the world, the scribes, the guys who know the scriptures backward and forward, the debaters, all of these guys, they're lost. Um, because the truth that God is bringing us, right, is foolishness to them. They can argue all they want. They won't understand it. Um, for indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. Now, in the previous section here, right, in our John, right, here's where we start connecting, the temple leader said, well, do a miracle for us. Perform a trick. Come on. Play dead. Lay down. Right? And Jesus says, no, nah, I ain't doing that. He goes to the people, he starts performing miracles, and they're like, wow, we believe in you. And he says, you know what? You're just after signs, and you're missing the point. Because the signs and the miracles aren't the point. Now, we see where Paul goes out and preaches, and he goes to the Greeks, and the Greeks look at him, and they're like, can you please explain how you think about things? And then he says, well, look, Jesus died, he rose from the dead. Everybody who ever lived that has faith in Christ, and faith that he died to take punishment for our sins, everyone in that place... Like, when they die, they'll live again. And the Greeks, the Greeks, like, in their philosophy, right, this is, starts with Socrates and Plato and these guys, they believe that the earth, 
was broken and it was bad, right? Everything that is substance is, is not perfect. They believed that everything that was perfect was ever otherworldly. So the idea that Jesus would be God, who became man, who died and rose again, that's offensive to these guys. They're like, what are you talking about? The flesh is broken. It's all about all that over there. And so they're like, you're just, you're foolish. And they make fun of him. Actually, when Paul preached at Mars Hill, they made fun of him. Um, and they did it because their hearts are made of stone, right? Because all men, you, me, every one of us is born with a heart that is stone because of sin, right? Um, some people say, oh, wait a minute, children are innocent. That is not true. And I will tell you, I love my kids, but they are not innocent, right? I, my daughter lies to me periodically. Is anybody surprised? Does anybody ever have like a, t- a toddler who lied to them? Did I teach her to lie? Nope. Trying to teach her not to, but she does lie, right? Nobody teaches anybody how to lie. We figure it out because we sin. We're good at that. Titus can barely talk, and he learned how to hit his sister when he doesn't get his way, right? That's not innocent. Because all men are born this way. You, me, we can't get away from it. Um, And we search for the things that we think God should do on our behalf. God, you have to meet me my way. God, you have to do things my way. Um, And so for the, the Jews, it's give us miracles. For the Greeks, it's, you know, give us wisdom. In our culture, it's be this way, right? Be politically correct. Uh, Make it match science. Make it match this. Make it, you know, God, do this dance for us, and then we'll believe in you. And in reality, like, all of this is just an extension of that original thing that Jesus encountered with Satan, right? Bow down to me, and I will give you all of the world, right? Just bow down to me. Give me what I want, and you can have everything. And in reality, Jesus ceases to be God if he bows down to anyone, because God doesn't bow, does he? Um, and so the Jews and the Greeks, they chase after their own thing that's a lost thing. And the world around us, the lost in this world, they're chasing after things that are not about Jesus. They're not about the things of God. Now we're going to go on from here. Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, to end the Gentiles' foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So he backs up and he says, listen, they want signs. These guys want wisdom. They want me to argue. They want us to, you know, explain to me how Jesus fits in with this dinosaur thing and they make fun of it, right? Or explain to me, you know, why is it Jesus can't... I had a kid once, I was teaching Bible study to a group of gang kids and this kid's like, I'll tell you what, I'll believe if God makes my book levitate across the room, but until then I ain't believe in nothing. Do my tricks, God. Right? And Paul says, listen, we don't preach miracles. We don't preach this wisdom, which, by the way, is not to say that wisdom is bad. I'm a firm believer. I think science like, is a fantastic thing. I love science. I love reading. I love history. I love debating. I love arguing. I'll argue about who Jesus is all day long. And I don't think Jesus falls outside of that stuff. But at the end of the day, folks are going to look at it and they're going to say, this Jesus person, I don't buy this. Right? But the message we are sent to carry, the message we are sent to deliver, the message we are sent to embody is, Jesus Christ died for your sins. The Son of God stepped into this world, became a man, and carried every rotten, wicked thing you ever did on his back. He became sin who knew no sin. Like, he never did anything wrong, but he became sin for you because God loves you that much. 
God desires to be intimate and close with you that much that he would send his son to suffer for you. And that is the message we carry. Everybody with me? Um, and we can say, oh, that's foolish. But in the end, God's foolishness is wiser than the world. Right? Can't get away from it. God's wisdom is irrefutable. We're going to jump back into Ezekiel. And we're going to bring this all the way back around to John. I'm getting there, right? Ezekiel says, this is 36. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will be, uh, you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So Ezekiel comes back and he says, listen. Like, like pointing all the way back to Ezekiel, listen. What God gives us. Right? So if Jesus replaces things, one of the things that Jesus replaces is the most vital thing for everyone sitting in this room. Jesus replaces your heart. The tendency to be angry, the tendency to judge, the tendency to pour out wrath on folks around you, the tendency to be afraid of people who are supposed to be your family, the tendency to think of yourself, the tendency to get drunk so you don't have to deal with your problems, the tendency to look at porn because it's just easy, the tendency to, like mistreat your wife because that's how the world is, right? If she would just be respectful, it'd be fine. The tendency, like all of these things, this comes out of this stony heart and Jesus Christ comes and he replaces our heart. He gives us this new center, this new soul. Actually, we get in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. Or if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away, and behold, the new things have come. Now watch this. The next section is Jesus talking to, to, to the Pharisee, to Nicodemus, right? Do I have the name right? Um, and what he says to Nicodemus is, he says, he says, if anybody wants to see heaven, they have to be born again. And he's like, what are you talking about? Born again? How am I going to come out, you know, mom's belly a second time? I can't even get back in there. Like, how am I supposed to be born again? And what Jesus is talking about is made brand new, a new creation in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is the foundational element, right? You cannot obey Jesus good enough. You cannot preach long enough. You cannot give enough money. You cannot show up to church enough time. We all must be new creations in Christ. That is the core of who we are. And the best thing Jesus can give us, right, is he looks at our hearts of stone and he says, I will not trust that, but I'll replace it. That's fantastic. I, uh, I used to live in Texas, which is pretty close to hell sometimes because it's really hot. <laughs> and my in-laws live there. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> In, I love you, honey. I'm so sorry. Uh, and and uh, but I, I worked for I worked for a company. I remember one day I had to dig a trench around a house. You know, working for Sears, and I was out there all day digging a trench. It was like 150 because Houston is is miserable, and the humidity was 140 percent. It's like living in SpongeBob SquarePants. Fire still works, right? <laughs> but you're underwater. Um, and I remember after work one day I was they had to for work I had to wear long sleeves and long pants and all polyester. 
And so digging a ditch in polyester. And I remember stopping at a gas station, dropping eight bucks for a bottle of water. And it was the best tasting water I've ever had in my life. You guys know what I'm talking about? Farmers, right? Y'all know. When we learn that Jesus made us new on the cross, it should be like that amazing water quenching your soul. And it's a decision we make. We follow Him, we are in Christ, or we are not. Right? It's a commitment we live. You commit yourself to that or you don't. As we build up to Easter, as we build up to celebrating that gift of Jesus dying for us, we have to ask ourselves, am I in Jesus? Am I a new creation? Has God reached in and taken the broken, hard-hearted, awful parts of me and replaced them? Staying in 2 Corinthians, we're going to back up to chapter 3. Paul is writing, he's in conflict with this church, that's the context, but I'm looking for the principle here, okay? Paul is asked, hey, can you give us, tell us how awesome you are, Paul, prove yourself. And Paul comes back and he says, you are our letter, written in your hearts, in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifest that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, not on stone hearts, but on tablets of human hearts, meaning recreated hearts, renewed, born again, brand new in Christ. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. What Paul is saying there is, when you encounter the world, when you go out, when your neighbors meet you, when you hang out with other Christians, when you wash dishes in my kitchen... Because we're so far behind. When you love folks who don't deserve to be loved, when you, um, when you are Jesus to the world, you are carrying God's love letter. People encounter Jesus through you. Every one of you. There are a lot of Christians who do not take this seriously. Right? I got a post it on my Facebook this week. I had a good friend that I know from, from Twitter, and he and I have been exchanging emails and texts and everything for a while. And he wrote a story about like his first few churches he went to that were horrible and abusive and controlling and not really about Jesus. They were about everything else. Um, and it broke my heart when I read it. I didn't know how to respond. I read uh, this book a few weeks ago, and I, I, it keeps coming back in my head, and I couldn't figure out why. I'm going to share it with you. This is John Stott. Um, the most effective preaching comes from those who embody the things they are saying. They are the message, Christians. They need to look like what they are talking about. It is people who communicate primarily not words or ideas authentically. Get across from deep down inside people. A momentary insincerity can cast down on all that was made for communication up until this point. What he's saying is, like, we carry the authentic Jesus. People encounter him in that. Show of hands, who here has encountered Jesus in this place because somebody has loved you for you have no idea why? And beyond the point of reasonable. That wasn't them, that was Jesus. And that was people who were carrying that love letter to this world. And I can't even imagine a better blessing than being one of the people who gets to carry that, right? Showing who God is in selfless sacrifice and love. That is it. Now, here's the dark side of it. 
Similarly, a Hindu professor identifying one of his students as a Christian once said, if you Christians lived like Jesus Christ, India would be at your feet tomorrow. Another example is from Reverend, I can't read this guy's name, it's completely foreign, a former Arab Muslim who has said, if all Christians were Christians, there would be no more Islam today. Right? Um, What was it that Gandhi said? I love Jesus. I just don't like Christians very much. So we're going to close with a song, and I'm going to call my... cannot tell you how much I appreciate the Andersons being here today. Um, and I'm going to give Brooke the lyrics, because Jess seems to think he needs them. Kate apparently needs them. <laughs> um, and here's what we're going to do. First off, we're going to spend some time singing, Right? Um, secondly, as we sing, you can sit, you can stand, you can do whatever you want. Um, but I know there are days that I listen to sermons. There are days, especially when I first became a Christian, I was like the guy followed me around. If there are things you've heard today and you say, man, I need to be more like Jesus. If you've heard things and you're like, I haven't even agreed to follow Jesus. Like, third on my list. As we're singing, stand up and sing. Pray. If you want to come up front, we don't do altar calls very often. But we're doing it today because we're going into a new year. We're discussing what we're going to do. The most important thing we're going to do, right? The most important thing we're going to do is imitate Christ and bring him to the people in this community. And they're going to see who Jesus is because you guys are going to be that love letter. Everybody with me? So let's sing and I'm done talking. I'm going to walk away right now.